Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nathan Maxwell's in the house. Hey, brother. What's going on, dude? How are you? I'm doing good. How is this camera angle? Do you want me to flip it? Yeah, why didn't you flip it over? Then we get more Nathan. There we go. Yeah. More bang for the buck. Cheers, dude. Great to see your face. Yeah, great to see you too, brother. Cheers. It's been too long. I figured we've been friends for coming up on five years now, so it was high time I got you on the show. Oh, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, and I like doing these podcasts with people that I I know, but what I find through the process of doing these is I don't actually know people like yourself as well as I would like. And so through the process of conversations like this, we can get to know each other better. So it's a nice excuse to catch up and you know dig deep. Um, where do we begin? I guess we should begin with where you were born and raised and some of your early formative experiences and, and memories that would shape the you know young man you would go on to be so tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and your family life and your upbringing and put me in the picture of the early years of nathan maxwell sure yeah um i was born in south bay of los angeles in california um my dad um uh, is and was a musician uh, my mom um kind of had different odd jobs, being a hairdresser and a seamstress. Um, 
I was raised um, as an only child. My mom and dad split up pretty early, so I was raised with my mom mostly and uh, um, cousins and stuff like that. I uh, spent a lot of time at the beach as a kid. Uh, in the summers, I remember my mother would go to work with her sister as seamstresses, and they'd drop me and my two cousins off at the beach Monday through Friday, um, which was a pretty amazing way to grow up, just being, you know, having the beach as your babysitter and the lifeguard tower. Um, that was important memories to me. Um, my dad was always around though, you know, he always made an effort to be there for me and be a great dad. And, uh, he, you know, being a musician, um, he got me, you know, I, I really, I credit him with, with showing me that music is a worthwhile pursuit of life, whether you, regardless of your success level at it, it's, it's something that you're passionate about. Um, it's worth pursuing. And I, I always credit my dad for instilling that in me. Um, very grateful for that. Um, you know, South Bay of LA is like, uh, you've got your beach cities, which are really nice. You got Hermosa, Redondo, Manhattan, and then you've got the cities a little bit further inland, uh, like Hawthorne, Lawndale, uh, Inglewood, stuff like that. So it's kind of a mixed bag in your upbringing, depending on kind of what part of the railroad tracks you're at. And, uh, I kind of grew up on both sides, actually, like as a young person, lot of time at the beach and then you know as a teenager and uh young adult you know primarily lived in a town um called Lawndale which that's where I kind of consider I grew up there in Torrance for the most part um got into punk rock pretty young got into skateboarding um which was great because other you know family members of mine fell into kind of more darker things, gangs and, and violence and stuff. So I always credit music and punk rock and skateboarding culture with really kind of putting me on the right, <laughs> on the right path in life. And I'm sure a lot of people out there like look at punk rock as something that's like, Oh, wow, that's, that's uh, maybe not the right path for my kids. But for me, it was definitely a strong and solid and very positive path to, uh, to pursue. Um, and that brought me into music um, as far as wanting to perform. You know, I started, my dad's a drummer, so I started playing the drums. Um, and, you know, then I started singing, you know, a, you know, as a young, like, 15-year-old punk kid. I just wanted to be in a band. It's so like, all right, I'll form a band. I'll sing. I'll play the drums. I'll play the bass. Um, and uh, I just kind of picked up the bass because, it's to me, it was like a transition between rhythm and actually running around and having fun like a lead singer. So, and a lot of the music that I grew up listening to, you know, the eighties, um, like a lot of reggae, uh, uh, you know, ska, even like the whole third wave, like Op, Op Ivy, that was super bass driven stuff and post-punk stuff. I grew up on like the cure and, uh, joy division. That was all very bass driven stuff. So I really like, I knew I loved the bass and, kind of coming from drums, bass just made the most sense to focus on. So I decided to just, um, when my little, not my little, but when my first punk band, uh, PBS, split up, the band I was singing for, I just decided, you know what, I just want to focus on the bass and I want to, and I want to get up kind of out of the South Bay and get up into Los Angeles and to Hollywood because I believed at the time, and I still believe it, that you have a lot of motivated people there and a lot of more motivated than me. And I, I made a pact to myself that 
I never wanted to be the most motivated person in the room. I always wanted to be surrounded by people that were better than me, that were had a bigger vision than me. And that's, you know, kind of long story. That's how I met at a very young age. That's how I met uh, the members of Guatemala. And um, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting to me, dude. I've never heard anybody be so frank about that. Uh, and I think it makes sense because whatever you do, if you surround yourself with people who are at a higher level, you're only going to improve, get better. Um, but I love that even early on, you were just like, I'm passionate. I believe in my skill set, but I need to find people who are that level above so they can elevate me and we can go at it. That's pretty awesome. And you know your role from a very early age. Well, I think, again, you know, because I was as a young person, um, I was in rehearsal spaces. I was, you know, uh, participating in music videos with my dad's bands. And I, I saw the, um, you know, I saw the excitement and I saw the disappointment and I saw the level at which, um, you know, I saw this certain level of professionalism, um, as a kid that I just figured was standard. And of course it's not standard. I was, I was lucky enough to be around some pretty high level players. Um, and so for me, like once I be decided that this was my life's path, I didn't want to settle for just, um, and as horrible as this might sound, I didn't want to settle for just being in a group with my friends. Um, and whatever comes of that may come, you know, that would be, that sounds like a dream come true if you can make that work. But, you know, again, I, I wanted to, I wanted to feel that level that I had experienced just as a witness as a kid. And, you know, um, I definitely in meeting the members of Fog I, I know that in my heart, I immediately knew it in my heart when I saw them, I was like, holy shit, this is the real deal. This is the level I'm talking about. And, you know, I didn't grow up like with any, real cultural like my my ancestry like i didn't grow up with like my irish i knew my irish um great-grandmother before she passed away and i knew my mexican great-grandmother before she passed away um but i grew up just a kid from la you know i remember asking my mom like you know my best friend's from mexico and him and all our friends are making fun of our other friend from el salvador and where am I from? I want to, I want to know this, you know? And my mom was like, honey, you're just a, you're just Heinz 57. You're just a mutt from California. So that's kind of always been my identity. You know, I've never been like, I wasn't some kid, like I need to, to honor my Irish heritage. So I, so I formed or joined an Irish band. That wasn't it for me. For me, it was, I want to be around something great, something that, that touches my soul, something that I can believe in. And for better or worse and for right or wrong, I, I remember saying I could have been a reggae band. It could have been a, a rock band or whatever, but I got so lucky to meet Dave and the rest of the Flagamale family. It, that's what it became. I mean, what fortune, uh, I think right place, right time plays a part, but also as you're talking about being open to meeting the right people and being aware when you do, that's what it is. How old are you when you do? come across dave and who's in flogging molly at that point when you first do you see them perform for the first time is that how you become aware of them yeah it... yeah i I, uh, <clears throat> I had moved up to los angeles i you know i dropped out of high school when i was 16 i moved up to la met a band um got a fake id from one of the guys back then when they were super easy to make and uh started playing in hollywood with this other group 
um, and I had heard about Flog and Molly, and it wasn't, I don't remember if it was Flog and Molly yet, but it was about to be, and uh, I actually heard about the bass player that was playing with them, a guy named Jeff Peters, um, and just like, you got to check this guy out, he's great. So I remember um, using my fake ID, actually, that's not how the story goes, but that's how I got into the front door of, of Molly Malone's and uh, got to see Flog and Molly perform. And again, I don't remember if they were calling it Flog and Molly or not, but the only members that are <clears throat> from that time that are still that are still, you know, the founding members is Dave and Bridget. Um, they had different people around them at that point. Um, but then actually, I'm sure the story is many told, but Jeff, the bass player and Ted Hutt, the guitarist, who's um, since become a very uh, acclaimed producer um, that we've also worked with. Um, they were the you know guitarist and bass player. They left to go support the Sex Pistols on with their band Reach Around, and so it kind of forced this reformation of Flog and Molly. And uh, that's when I you know I was there already as a fan at seventeen. That's when I met everybody. And uh, when Dave asked me to join the band, I was still seventeen. I had a few rehearsals under my belt. Turned eighteen in uh, August uh, of '96, and then. November of 96 played my first gig with the band. Dude, that's amazing. And here we are, what, 25 years later? A little more, maybe? Yeah, 27, 26. <laughs> and yeah. are Matt and Dennis around around that sort of time as well? Do the three of you sign up roughly in the same time period? Yeah, we really did. I mean, I think Matt, I think that was the only gig that one in November that I played without Matt. Um, he was there, right? We pretty much joined at the same time. I mean, I might have come in like a month before him or something. Um, and then Dennis was also there at that time as well. And uh, I don't recall the story so well, but I've heard Dave tell it and Dennis tell it that, um, you know, we wanted Dennis to be the guitarist, but he had another gig that had a record deal. And Dennis being the loyal guy that he is, he just couldn't break away from that so he turned us down originally so we brought in a guy named johnny donovan who actually played on our first studio record swagger um but soon after that recording um johnny didn't work out and um uh dave kept dennis's phone number and this was before cell phones this was just the landline called dennis up dennis happened to be home picked up the phone and uh the rest is history so um Dennis has been with us ever since. But yeah, he was there. He, me, Matt, and Dennis, we were all there at the beginning watching this kind of thing that was about to become our life's work, you know, <laughs> develop. It's and amazing, David, man. Course, I love it. That, yeah. And, and there was, I guess you've had like drumming and, and banjo replacements, but that core of the group has remained the same throughout time. And that is quite rare of a band of that size. You know, you look at a lot of the bands that are more than a four piece, you know, whether it's five, six, seven, sometimes if it's a ska band and you've got all the brass going on, whatever it is, very often members are interchangeable. And it's often just, you know, you look at like a Dropkick Murphys, right? And there's been so many lineup changes in a band like that. Um, yeah. what, what do you think it is about Flogging Molly that's kept it, you know, such a core remaining consistent lineup? Well, you know, I, 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 I thought I have many thoughts on it, but one thing that dawned on me um, a few years back is that, you know, you have five, you have five original members that are still there and we are the five that are the songwriters. I mean, we're the five that have, that contribute 
you know, over the, the body of work. And of course, Dave King is the primary songwriter for Flogger Molly, you know. Um, but every every one of us, Bridget, um, Dennis, Matt, and myself, we all contribute original music to to what makes Flogger Molly Flogger Molly. And um, and I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, we all share in this in this vision. Um, we all love it. Um, we all love each other. And, um, you know, some of the previous members, you know, I look back and they actually didn't contribute songwriting. And to me, that 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 says something right there. Right. Yeah. You know, it's how invested you are, how a part of it you are, how actively engaged you are. Um, and I think, you know, there's. There's so much to be said for group chemistry as well. You know, there's certain bands that remain the same despite who's in it to a large extent. Um, but I think real bands are are the ones that, you know, it's about that amalgamation of energy and that mixture of personalities. And it's the, it's the collective that makes the whole what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's scary. You know, it's scary when, uh, you know, there have been a couple changes. There's been two members over the last 20 um six years um that have have you know changed and it's scary anytime we've gone through that and we've gone through it twice um which honestly after 26 years isn't isn't that much considering right a seven piece man um it, but it's scary every time you do it because it's a chemistry set right we have a certain chemistry and you don't know if you change the chemistry if it's going to be better or worse and uh um, so we take that very seriously. Um, we love our chemistry. And I'm, you know, I'm so grateful to say that the changes that have been made over the last 27 years have all been positive. And I think we're a better band. We're a happier family because of it. So I'm, you know, grateful to be in this position and not <laughs> saying, damn it. You know? Yeah, man. And and do you feel like it is that, you know, obviously you're not going to come on here and say you all hate each other, but do you feel like the band is a family and there is deep love, respect, and you actually still, you know, all these years in genuinely enjoy each other's company, playing with each other, touring with each other, being around each other. Well, yeah. I mean, a bit of just like any family, I'm sure you have some siblings that piss you off, right. They get under your skin at the dinner table or something. So people find their, their routine and their space, you know, we're a big family, you know, we're not a, um, dual income, no kids, you know, we're, we're a, we got a big family here with lots of kids and lots of, you know, crew members and people running in and out. So, you know, we absolutely love each other. I think more than anything, we, we love Flog and Molly, you know, we love what it is. We love the songs, the fans, the, the journey, you know, what, what it collectively is, is what we're all committed to. And, um, yeah, of course, we learn how to give each other the space that we need and the time that we need, you know. When did it start taking off? When did it become something that you, you felt was going to transcend, you know, just, you know, a short-lived thing that had its moment in the sun, perhaps? And, you know, because at that time, obviously, we're talking mid-90s, such a prolific and exciting time for punk rock. Um, but a lot of bands from that time did not go on to be the headliners of today that, you know, retain that level of, of audience ship and ticket sales. And, um, you know, you're obviously one of the, the higher tier bands from that time. When did you feel like it was, you know, snowballing and becoming something that was going to, you know, stay the course? Um, well, you know, we recorded our first studio record in 1998. Um, 
again, I started in 96. Uh, so we, and we were playing a lot, you know, we've always kind of been a live band. Um, so we had years of playing and playing and playing, you know, the Southern California, and then we would stretch out to, you know, the, the Northwest, um, or we do a random tour in the Midwest. We fly out for, we were playing, you know, living in a van, um, doing that, that's, you know, jumping on the work tour, jumping on any tour we could get. And again, we got really lucky with great bands like, you know, Anti-Flag, The Bouncing Souls, Mighty Mighty Boston. So you all took them under us under their wing and let us support, support their tours. Um, but it wasn't until about 2000, well, it was definitely, I, I know it was 2002 when Drunken Lullabies dropped. And that really kind of, we know I noticed the difference. I mean, that song itself, not just the the album, but the song itself um, seemed to have a lot of momentum. I know it got into like a Tony Hawk video game, which sold millions and millions of copies. And, and you had that Goldfinger moment, like they did with Superman, <laughs> yeah. where it's just like, "Hello world, here's this band. They ain't going anywhere from here on in." Like it's amazing that I don't know whether that happens as much anymore, but you have those moments in time, especially for us as like UK fans, for me growing up, you know, that game introduced so many of me and my friends to American bands that perhaps we wouldn't have discovered otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that was kind of, at least from my understanding, that was the beginning of this, what's now a pretty common phenomenon, how, you know, media like video games drives a lot of music and, and turns a lot of people onto it. Um, but you know, another thing, like from my point of view, the real big difference was getting on a tour bus versus versus being in a van because we were touring nonstop up until that point. It wasn't like we were sitting at home working day jobs and then we had a hit and then we, we started touring. We were committed to the live show, committed to the road, committed to Flog and Molly well before that. And we were playing over 200 shows a year. You know, that doesn't include travel days and days off. And, and um, you know, so we were grinding it for years up until that album dropped and we kept grinding. You know, it's just now we were grinding in a bus. And now also in 2002, a major shift happened with Flogga Molly. And that's that our, our singer and songwriter, Dave King, um, was no longer an illegal alien or whatever the term is. Uh, he finally got permission to leave the united states without um incurring some penalty that would have had him deported for like 10 years and and forgive me if i'm not telling the story right but that's how i remember it so in 2002 for the first time ever we were able to go international um before that when we had played warp tours um Flaga molly would have to stay at the border when the warp tour would go you know into <laughs> into canada like it'd be us tsol uh whatever other bands that had certain issues they couldn't get over. But uh, so 2002, we dropped Drunken Lullabies. We became able to travel international, which just opened up the rest of the world for us to get out there and do what we do. Not to speak for Dave, but were they tense years in the lead up to that, you know, never quite knowing your destiny, like the fact that you could at any point be plucked from your life and, and as you say, sort of sent home? I can only imagine. I mean, I believe in my heart that that absolutely um, had a major effect on him, his psyche, his his inspiration, his songs. I mean, again, I don't ever want to speak for for him, but uh, I can only imagine. You know, wouldn't I, I know that would affect me, right? 
not being able to go home and see your mom or see your kid, you know, and, and, but also not wanting to give up on your, 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 your dream and having to choose between and that whole struggle, you know? Do you think it also played a part in some of the tonality of the the songs that were being written and perhaps, you know, lay some weight to the material? I absolutely do. I, I mean, again, from my from my perspective, yes, <laughs> clearly so. And well, he must have been ecstatic when it was finally, you know, confirmed that he could go and and travel freely was there a change in the mood in the camp then was it like more of a celebratory like a a sigh of a collective sigh of relief so i mean looking back you know this is still this is still over 20 years ago now um looking back those were great times you know we were we were on fire we we uh we all collectively believed in this We, we had dedicated our entire lives to it we you know we made this the priority above everything else um with no guarantee that anyone would care um, that we'd ever land on our feet, you know? And so those were really great times getting to travel the world for the first time together and and hit these stages and hit those European festival stages, which are, you know, as I'm sure, you know, are just, you know, some of the greatest (laughs) experiences in the world. Um, So yeah, those were just magical times. And, you know, there's really no looking back other than the, the forced break that we all had to have in our industry with COVID. Um, you know, we never stopped, you know, we never stopped. Once we hit that international scene and the festival season in Europe and, and abroad, and um, we never stopped. We just have kept, kept on keeping on. And it's been, I mean, it's the only life I really know. <laughs> and uh, I'm so grateful for it. And I look forward to many, many more years of, uh, you know, God be willing or uh, continuing to play this music. Cause I know I love it. I've always loved it. And I know, I believe that it, you know, from the taking people's word, you know, for what they're telling me, I believe that it can make someone's day better. And, you know, that if that's your day job, it's a pretty sweet, pretty sweet role, you know? Well, something that I noticed about you from the moment we first you know, exchanged interactions was how much you love the tour life. You know, everybody obviously misses home to an extent, but I genuinely sensed right away with you that there was no jadedness whatsoever, that you are still not just hungry to play the live shows, but to enjoy all the experiences that come with touring, going out after shows, socializing, you know, meeting other people in in the other bands on the bill or DJs like myself or fans that are there at the show. Like, is that safe to say that you're very much at home on the road and do enjoy everything that comes with it, not just the shows themselves, but the experience of travel and meeting new people and, you know, ex- you know, enjoying cultures all over the world and dipping your feet into the nightlife and all of that stuff that comes with, with life on the road. Well, yeah, I mean, that's all part of it. You know, I, if, if I look, if I look at it, like just a paycheck, you know, I, then it can be really depressing, right? You think all the hours you put in and like, uh, but I, I've never looked at it that way. I look at it as the experience, you know, um, the gift of travel, right? Like, you know, traveling is a gift, you know, I think it's lost on people that, you know, that, you know, at any time we could be shut down and, and not have the freedom to travel. Right. And so with music, uh, you know, being able to travel, doing something that you love for me, it's just fantastic. And yeah, I mean, 
course, my favorite part of the road, it truly is the performance. It's when we're on stage. That's why I'm there. Um, but the other, you know, 22 hours a day, you know, I don't want to just be sitting hiding in a closet or in a bus like that. And I, I understand that that's comfortable for certain people. Um, and sometimes I need it too and prefer that. But, you know, in general, I want to go out there and, and experience what's, what, what there is to experience. I have a lust for life, right? There are wanderlust. Uh, that's genuine. And um, it makes the, uh, it makes the job, not feel like a job it's just an adventure right i was with aid last night we went to see snoop dog in birmingham and uh he said to say hello to give you his love and he said to ask yeah, you about the time talking about on the road uh when you toured the beat union i imagine it was beat union back in the day uh going out to some like squat where hr was living and jamming with his band like all night long in this fucking derelict fucking punk house moments like that that you know you're never <laughs> going to experience if you're not in music yeah, that's uh, that was in Baltimore. I I never forget that. I've been there uh, several times. Um, they, those are magical moments. Yeah, it's hard to explain that to someone who doesn't like you know who might not know who HR is or the impact that the Bad Brains had on me and what I believe on you know punk rock as a whole. Um, so it is it is surreal. It's one of those things you remember and to have that experience you know multiple times. Um, you know, I got to give my my brother Pablo Fiasco a shout out um, from the Scotch Bonnets for facilitating that, and he was kind of running that um, squat, as far as I know. Uh, a lot of good times there. Um, Aid, love you, brother. Stay positive. He's doing good, man. He's doing good. He sends his love. Tell me some other road stories, if you could, Nathan. You've been obviously everywhere, all over the world. Are there any that spring to mind of time shared? Um, you know after hours or during the day just moments where music has taken you to these once in a lifetime places whether they're x-rated or pg whatever <laughs> <laughs> you know i i get a flood you know i have my mind floods with memories and it's kind of hard to pick one out you know i almost rather you kind of lob something up to me and, I'll, <laughs> and i can talk about it what um, about when you're young and you're hitting the road and you're sharing the stage with people who are heroes to you and, and then you get on a level with with these thank people? You. That's perfect. That's perfect. So, you know, growing up uh, as a young punk rock kid, loving punk rock music and identifying with the culture very deeply, um, especially the bands from where I grew up, you know, bands like uh, Bad Religion, you know, uh, The Descendants, Circle Jerks, Black Flag, stuff like that. Um, and being able to meet these 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 heroes um you know on warp tours or on you know different situations where fog and molly was now colleagues and i'm not just some young fan um but i'll never forget we were playing in san diego on the san diego street scene and we're playing and there's brian baker you know stage right right where i am sat in there watching the show and we finished the show and, you know, I put my bass down and I go to walk off stage right. And there's Brian and Brian looks at me and says, great show as always, Nathan. <laughs> I was like, whoa, wait, first of all, great show. That's huge. As always, what? Nathan, you fucking know my name? Oh, my God. And I was like, that, that, that was one of those moments where it's just like the young punker in me is like, holy shit, this didn't really just happen, you know? Yeah, so... That was a fun one. I'll never forget that. And I love Brian Baker. 
I imagine you still get it as well. I mean, just going back to last year on the cruise, obviously distillers kind of dropped out last minute. You brought in X as a, as a fairly last minute replacement. And I mean, I've got to say, man, watching them on that boat is a, a memory that will stay with me forever. And they brought such a level of sophistication and heritage to that experience that, you know, there's all these great bands throughout the week on the boat, but then a band like that steps up and takes to the stage and you're just like, oh my God, you're in the presence of like legitimate greatness and one of the OG, you know, forefathers and mothers of, of this whole movement and, and then get into, you know, hang out in the casino with Exine and smoke cigarettes <laughs> and gin, gin and tonics into the wee hours, pinch yourself moments. It, it, you know, that is such, such a great experience. I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. Um, you know, seeing when X first performed um, and just seeing the front row of the front row of the X performance on the Salty Dog Cruise was, I mean, it was all the it was all the fans, you know, all the guys that I grew up uh, looking up to. They were all right there on the front row, you know, looking up at, at X and, and X scene and the, and the, the, the band and um I know that's that was very surreal. Of course, I was on my balcony right above, looking down. <laughs> but um, I, and one of the coolest things of that whole tour was that um, Xine and my mother-in-law hit it off and became good friends. And I, I just it makes my heart so happy. You can't make that up, right? Yeah, she's a badass. She's such yeah. a badass. Uh, and I remember actually, you, you say that Bill Stevenson, like like a kid. Just there, as you say, yeah. in front uh, in front of the stage, just like so stoked, and he's such an excitable, you know, genuine lover of the music anyway. But to see him, like Bill Stevenson, and he's fanning out, he's just like, wow, yeah. dude. Yeah. I gotta say, I gotta publicly thank you for, um, you know, inviting me out on those and taking me out over the last few years. They're experiences that are, and I've been, you know, like yourself, fortunate to have enjoyed some really amazing moments in my life and career, and like you have become friends with a lot of people I look up to and but th those cruises and I, I remember on the last day of the the fireball tour that we did together we were hanging out and I kind of you know cheekily asked you because I'm very much of the opinion if you don't ask you don't get and you know all they can say is no and that's fine and I sort of said you know how about bringing me out on the cruise and you're like yeah man for sure and you could have just easily said yes in that moment to be nice. And then, you know, it wouldn't have materialized and that would have been fine too. But you're a man of your word. You're a man of honor. And you came through and invited me out, I guess, 2019, I think, was the first one that I did. Um, are you still there, Nathan? Oh, he's dipped out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I'll fill the void here and hopefully he'll join the Zoom call, come back on. Let's see what Nathan's saying here. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And just like that, ladies and gentlemen, he's back in the room like nothing happened. He dipped out. He's back in. <laughs> we hope. Fingers crossed. Am I back? He's back in the room. I said that's I so good. So you just texted me. That. Oh no! I was like, I thought I, your battery. I, I thought your battery had died. I was pouring myself a drink, and I actually touched my uh, my my little earbuds, which somehow connected those right during your sincere moment <laughs> where you talked about how I could have just said yes and blown you off. Yeah, I actually meant it and got you on the cruise. Well, uh, I don't know if that's how you wrap that up, but I, I will say that, you know, I appreciate that. That's very flattering of, of you to say that. Um, but, you know, Matt, I didn't get you on the cruise. You got yourself on the cruise. You know, you you were in a position to be an asset to, to what we're doing. And, you know, we all collectively saw that and agreed. Um, so as much as I, I really do appreciate that, and I'm humbled by your your kind words you know it was flog and molly that, and yourself that got you on that cruise uh, god bless you nathan god bless yeah. you mate i filled the time as well whilst you're off i kind of just carried on with my uh my little speech trying to just put people in the picture who've never been on that experience uh and they obviously sell out so fast but i'd say to anybody who's listening to this just get on the waiting list if, if you've got the money and the time one year if you don't manage to even get the tickets right out the gate get on the waiting list because I was just saying when you were off for me and I've had the great pleasure now of doing a few different cruises with sick man. I just did the kiss cruise it was, um, you know, wildly invited by kiss to come and DJ and, and host some Q and A's for them on that one. And that was just mind blowing. And then I did an emo one as well. So I've done a few now and they're always amazing, but nothing beats that first time you're walking on the boat, you're taking it all in, you know, you're seeing there's a stage on top of a ship. You're eating dinner with all of these legends that you've grown up listening to. They're just there, you know, eating food next to you. You go into the Caribbean or, you know, Mexico, wherever it may be. Were you were you one of the first bands to kind of pioneer this experience? Because it really is. It's unlike anything, you know, even the best festivals in the world don't compare with, with these um, cool experiences. I wouldn't call us one of the pioneers. I would say that we are in our genre, you know, when it comes to punk rock. When it comes to skateboarding, um, tattoo culture, the, the flogging Molly pantheon, uh, I'd say we, we were the first. Um, but I specifically remember um, going on Damian Marley's cruise um, as inspiration um, and to, to kind of understand what works, what can we glean from this and into our, our world, right? Um, so definitely we weren't the pioneers of the, the concept. There was definitely people, artists before us that were doing it, that we looked up to. Uh, but again, you know, I'm proud of the fact that we have our own kind of unique and beautiful blend of culture that nothing else that I'm aware of is, is quite like that. Um, 
And, you know, I have had the experience now of being on different cruises uh, through just being in that line of work now. Um, and I still believe that. I still feel that. Like, there's nothing like being on a boat and hearing music. But for me, there's nothing like being on the Salty Dog Cruise. And I'm not just saying that. That's my heart. That's the truth. There's a there's a feeling. There's a community. There's a lightheartedness to it um, that I just I don't really experience anywhere else. And uh, I think that you know has a lot to do with the punk rock culture just as a whole. How inclusive it is, you know. Um, at least the punk rock that I love, you know, very inclusive and not some you know stringent religious cult where everyone has to think and act and dress the same way because that would be fucking boring. <laughs> now, I, I second that, like, and I'm not just saying this either because you're here and I'm trying to be nice to you. Like I wholeheartedly felt um, when I was on the Kiss cruise, obviously watching Kiss on a boat is its own unique novelty and, you know, once in a lifetime experience. And, and the emo one was fun, but I didn't feel as at home or, or as with my people uh, as I always do on the Flogging Molly one. And it just, you know, it's, it's the greatest and best experience. And, you know, once again, thank you for, for having me be a part of it. And I can't wait until November to do it all again. And uh, yeah. yeah, man. And how, how many times have you guys done it now? Like obviously discluding COVID, how many cruises have you, are you yeah. must be getting close to 10. Yeah. I think this would be number 10 if, if we were able to work the two years of COVID. So I think, I believe this is eight, eight. And uh, you know, and again, it's, um, you know, the, the first few years were really a lot of, a lot of faith, you know, like swinging for the fences, you know, uh, a lot of faith and thanks, thanks to our early partners for believing in us and for sticking with us through the kind of tumultuous years of trying to figure this out. But now I believe with our new partners, um, at sixth man, they really, I think they're, they're the industry standard in a great way. They know what they're doing. Uh, and I think just, it's only going to get better and better and more and more fun for for the patrons as the years continue um because it really hasn't only moved in that direction you know we definitely take people's comments seriously we, we read everything that people say and this is a this is a huge undertaking for us it, we take it very seriously there's a huge liability and responsibility for people's safety and just the whole thing so you know when people are spending their hard-earned money and this is their one vacation of the year or maybe the decade you know, we we take it very seriously. You know, we're a blue collar band. We're working class people. Families are working class. You know, a lot of most of my family has never been on it because they can't afford it. You know, and I'd love to just take them all, but I can't. You know, it's just what it is. So we, what I'm trying to say is, you know, we we're very proud of it. And we take it very seriously to make a wonderful event for everybody that's part of it, including the artists. Yeah, the artists love it. Shout out to Sixth Man as well. They are awesome. And what I have noticed with the the Flogging Molly Cruise, having done a few now, is people do come every year. You know, there's very few people, I think, who do one and go, oh, that was okay, but I don't think I'll do that again. Everybody, I think, who's been once would go every year if they could and indeed do go every year. Many of them do. I see people every year on the boat. I'm like, hey, you know, the third year in a row, great to see you. Like, that's unbelievable. That's the, you know, the true testament and you know, like acknowledgement of how awesome the experience is, is repeat custom, right? Yeah. I mean, that again, I, I think that's the greatest tell of all, you know, that I think the numbers are over 50% of the boat is the repeating customers every year. Uh, I think it's the numbers quite a bit higher than that, actually. And I, I'm not sure, but I know 
six man has the data <laughs> but yeah i mean it's such a great like affirmation um the fans that have been coming again i know in my heart there will be many many fans this year shipmates that we call ourselves that have been all eight years and you know that is just it's, it's come almost overwhelming it's like you know i feel such a, a debt of gratitude for them for making this dream a reality and and quite often i feel the same gratitude in return that people are just grateful that we've created something that they love and it's it's special it's a really special thing when did you move out are you living in colorado now is that where you now call yep. home when did you move yep. out there when did you leave la i left i moved out here in december of 2006 it's been a while and what was the move was it love was it a new chapter was it just you know a mixture of things yeah, well, it was pretty simple. I mean, I was touring for a living. You know, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I had met and, you know, and married and, and you know, fallen in love and had a family with uh, my ex-wife in Los Angeles. And she was from Colorado, is from Colorado. And with my tour schedule being as crazy as it was that I kind of went into earlier, um, she, she wasn't really happy in L.A. Uh, it's kind of a hard place to be, especially you know, a mom alone with two kids and, and, you know, husband's gone. She's not from there. So she's decided she wanted to be with her family in, in Colorado. And I could facilitate that being a traveler for work at that point. So I uh, came out here uh, for my family and um, I'm grateful for it. I, I mean, I, LA will always be my home. It's where I was born and raised, my parents, grandparents. Um, so that's always part of me. Um, as a matter of fact, my oldest kid moved back home to L.A., so she's back there now. How old's um, your oldest, Nathan? She's uh, 20. She'll be 21 this year. How yeah. old are you? I'm 44. Wow, so you had them pretty young. But yeah, man, 20. Wow. I, didn't, I had no idea that you had kids that old. Yeah, yeah. I'm very proud of her. She's pursuing her dreams and uh, just kicking butt. I couldn't be more proud of, of all the kids. Um, How many have you got? I've got four. Busy boy, kid. man. Busy boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, my favorite bass player, I'll take off my shirt so I can show you this. This is a real autograph I got. You can see it. It says family man right there. Uh-huh. Yep. That's an, actually Aston Barrett, who is Bob Marley's and the Upsetters bass player. He wrote that on my arm with a big fat Sharpie, and I got it tattooed on me. He is definitely my favorite bass player ever, and that was just kind of a random segue or, or side note, but uh, yeah, I've always, always considered myself a, a family person. Yeah. I guess because yeah. you grew up, maybe this is me reading too much into it as I have a tendency to do sometimes, but because you grew up as an only child, did you almost want to, if you were to have kids, have a whole bunch. So they had a different experience to you and they had sibling company and a gang. Yeah. I think there's something there. I really do. Um, and there's a whole about there's a lot lot in there to unpack, but uh, yeah, definitely. I think just uh, yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. But always, always, always wanted to do right by the kids. It's important. Do you love fatherhood? Then is it something you took to very naturally, and is it something that's enriched your your life in, in absolutely infinite ways? Absolutely. I mean, I can't remember a time where I wasn't. You know, um, as far as I mean, I do remember a wild and crazy time. And I still am wild and crazy. That's the thing. You are. Uh, but I don't I remember. It. <laughs> I don't remember a time, even as a young man, where I had a any issue with providing or or just 
you know, I've always felt like, you know, there's a virtue in being a provider uh, and looking after people. And, and, you know, so being a father to me is very natural. Um, it's the greatest thing in the world to me. Um, it's not easy when you're, you're gone for most of your kid's life and you miss most of their birthdays and most holidays. And, but, you know, I know in my heart, I was always doing it for, you know, for the right reasons, for the love of music and, and also to be able to provide for my family, which is something I'm very proud of, you know? Well, they're lucky to have you, dude. You know, good father Thanks. figures are hard to come by. And um, yeah, you know, you're you're an honorable man. As I mentioned earlier on, I can imagine that you uh, fulfill the role of, of fatherhood with, you know, great pride and care. Um, who are we hanging out with right there? Who's that behind you now? Okay, so I'm going to give you a look. I got two of my boys right here. That's the one I was just touching near me is Baloo. Say hi, Baloo. Now, are these and Dobermans? What kind of dogs are these? These are Great Danes. Great Danes. They're big boys, aren't they? Yeah, this guy right here, Chief, is about 150 pounds. <laughs> he wants to go outside. And this is Baloo, the little boy, about coming in at about 140. He's our little guy. They're like horses, man. Those faces are so long and massive. <laughs> yeah, and then we got, we, we're, we're watching our little neighbor, our neighbor's Corgi. He hangs out with the big boys. <laughs> That's amazing. And where you are must be amazing for, for, for you know, going out. out. Let's talk about outdoors because... For me, I didn't really appreciate nature and, and the great outdoors until COVID. I've always been a city guy. I've always been about the nightlife and, you know, just the urban mischief that you can get up to. And being in music, obviously, you know, half my life is just in venues and stuff and bars and everything else. But when COVID hit, I moved out to my dad's in the countryside, wrote a book, and just every day would be walking out for hours and hours and hours and end. And, you know, I'm not quite as vast with my nature experience in places like warwickshire where it's more leafy you know english traditional kind of countryside but being where you are um it must be overwhelmingly beautiful the kind of nature you're you know got right on your doorstep out there yeah i mean really you know natural beauty family music gathering eating and drinking that's what it's all about to me that's that's life that's the best part of life you know amen um, and doing all those at one time, right? That's heaven, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really, that's one of the things I do love about Colorado is we have so much, so much natural beauty. Um, I mean, right out my my front door here is Mount Hermon and, and uh, National Forest. Um, I spent a lot of time there. You know, I, COVID uh, was definitely, that was my church, just getting out in the mountains, hiking, fishing, just being around something bigger than myself to get out of my head and my anxiety and stress about being able to provide and all that stuff um, that comes with, you know, being non-essential or what, whatever. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, where do I start? I, I'm constantly buying books on, you know, learning about this region, you know, the, the, the Western Rocky mountain region. I just bought a book on foraging mushrooms, which I'm starting to get interested in Love it. Uh, just, Book, books on edible plants i mean it's it's fascinating you know and this is kind of a, a again a side note but you know 100 200 years ago you know we ate so much more variety of the, of the plants growing around us and, and even the animals growing around us and now it's like everything is pretty much packaged or branded or gmo right and put in our grocery stores we forget that this food was it's just plants they're growing out there you know maybe 25 percent of the world is edible right 
<laughs> well, I don't know how you know religious or spiritual you are, but you know, depending on which way you look at it, whether it's scientific or or spiritual, God or whoever gave us what we needed to survive in the earth there readily available it's only as greedy species that we are that we've you know created this vast need and want and over overpopulation overproduction all this stuff but back in the beginning of time everything that we needed to survive as a species was right there to pluck from the ground and as you say just consume and and, and you know get all our nutrients and all the necessary vitamins and minerals from plants and produce that is just there abundant in well, the it's earth. it's it's interesting you know because again we're we, we're told a lot of information and you know we're told a lot of information that's probably true but some of it we know is not true but like when i you know i hear about all this crap and then i go out into nature i'm like well there's all this abundance there's all of this land there's all of this wealth of of abundance whatever whatever that might be and it's just you know also like i grew up you know a pretty pretty big cannabis enthusiast and have been uh, my whole life um, my family worked in it you know in the in the illegal days of you know 70s 80s 90s um into the 2000s and you know growing up with a belief system that cannabis is good and having your grandfather and, and family members explain to you its benefits while the whole world is telling you that it's bad, it really, it really, I think I grew up kind of like with the skewed opinion of authority. I'm like, you're all these, these papers, right? Or, or all this information, all these, these, you know, experts are telling me that it's bad, that it's a gateway drug to crack cocaine and all this stuff. And then you do your own research and like, wait a second, that's all bullshit. So I kind of have that sense about me whenever i hear information like we're all gonna die of aids i'm like are we uh okay maybe not because again like the experts told me that cannabis was was had no value it's like so the experts today tell us that this or this or that and i don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist but i'm just being real that's how i see the world i always kind of like really okay i don't believe shit that i see on tv i just don't you know, I need to, I go out with my own two feet, my own eyes, my own hands. I meet people like you, like you observed when I'm on the road, I'm not hiding in a room watching TV. I'm actually on the street. I'm actually going out and meeting people, walking around, sitting with my own eyes, going to the location myself. And I think that has created, a, you know, kind of a, an alternative worldview to a lot of people that I, that I talk with who haven't maybe had those uh, experiences in their life or had different sets of experiences. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is just your own set of experiences that, you know, paint the picture of what's important to you. Right. Yeah. You need to go out and experience life firsthand to really understand and know it. And, um, you know, my parents are obsessed with the news. They watch it maybe three or four times a day. And when I'm back visiting them, I feel the mood in the room shift when the news comes on. And I don't like to be ignorant to what's going on in the world, but I haven't read or watched the news in about three years. Pretty much when COVID started and everything was just fear, paranoia, fear, paranoia, I stopped. You know, I would read as much as I needed to to have a basic understanding of where we're at. But the rest of my experience since then has just been about going out, as you're talking about meeting people and 
engaging with people face to face and i think we almost live in there's two different versions of of quote unquote reality now there's the people who sit indoors and just do everything online and argue with people online and criticize people online and get all their information online and then there's the people who might be have an awareness of that online narrative but they're actually also in the world existing and experiencing life for real um and the minute you stop doing that that's when you're in trouble that's when we're all in trouble i couldn't agree more um and you know i kind of getting my head around this phenomenon that we're all living in you know i it's really it's humbled me to be less opinionated myself you know i i see this 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 duality this like you know i i look at it as divide and conquer to me to me that seems obvious but you know i see these you know let's say half of my friends and family are on one side the other half are on another side and they just can't communicate and what a sad place to be in as a society you know it's like <laughs> so i i i'm more you know more than ever i'm less about having an opinion than just trying to just open up a narrative between people to talk i, I morgan freeman uh who i think most people love right it's such a great how could you not? Great, yeah. Right. How could you not? You know, he, he has a quote that I read from him and he said, I think it was something like, just because I disagree with you does not mean I hate you. And we need to relearn that in our society. And that to me is like, that's my motto, you know, because being kind of a punk rock crass, you know, thinker, I don't really agree with most people. That's the thing. Like I don't belong to the left wing think tank. I don't belong to the right wing think tank. I don't like I just think for myself. And th that can be uncomfortable if you don't have like a team. Like where's my where's my blue jersey or my red jersey? I don't I fuck I don't have a jersey. Everyone hates me, right? But I'm just kidding when I say that. But no I'm the I same mate. I, I'm the same. It's it's all about you thinking for yourself and, and not not questioning everything, but listening, hearing the other side out. Um, giving people a chance to share their thoughts, their feelings, their story, um, hearing them out. And then, you know, maybe you offer an alternative viewpoint if there is one. Um, but listening, we all need to listen more and, and hear the other side of the story. At least hear it out before you jump on someone and go, ah, I disagree. You know, hear them out. Well, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I, I'm talking to myself here, you know, in the sense that when all this, when all this started really getting crazy, I, it really affected me. You know, I got really disgruntled with people. And I remember, you know, because I, I was blaming people's think tanks, things that they believed in and the agendas that unfold from that. I was blaming those individuals like, you see how you're hurting everyone and you're hurting me and this and that, which was totally unfair, totally untrue. I mean, I had my head up my ass and I was part of the problem at that point. And I'm just I'm doing the self-work to kind of realize that, too not judge others for thinking different from me because then i'm no i'm not part of the solution i'm just another part of the problem right everyone's fucking wrong ah. <laughs> just just another voice screaming into the void yeah exactly and i i'm definitely guilty as charged you know so this is not me like trying to preach to somebody of how they should be this is me like this is my journey coming to terms with myself my own happiness and how to manage my family and my career and just our, my neighborhood, my, you know, the society that I love so much, the culture that I love so much. That's the thing is I felt like the culture of live music 
the culture of alternative independent music was under attack, you know, and I take that real seriously. So I get defensive, right? You know what I mean? Don't you fucking touch my culture, you know? But again, like being defensive is no way to be because if, you know, as, as I recently learned, if, if you're defensive and no one else is being offensive and you just come across as being offensive, right? Yeah. You're just the aggressor then. And you're like, Hey, right. who are you attacking dude? What? <laughs> guilty as charged. I'm sorry, everyone who have experienced that through me. <laughs> well, we've all, we've all done it, I think. And we can all do better. And uh, as long as we're all striving to do better, I think there's still hope for us all. Fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> dude, what a lovely chat. I want to pick your brains about your, um, your wonderful partner, Shelby and the project you've got together before i let you go dude her voice is unreal yeah it really that is is a beautiful beautiful voice very emotive and affecting um you don't need to share too much of the lyrical content of them so valoris is the project you and her um but there's there's a lot going on there man there's a lot of emotions there's a lot of i seem to feel and sense deep heavy emotions it's you know it's uplifting and it's empowering but it's definitely raw uh in places um and how exciting to go to those places with with your wife and, and explore creativity and expression together after you've been doing it for so many years in you know this amazing collective that you call your family to strip it down to you two and, and go you know into that zone together um tell me about that um well yeah it's it's so wonderful to be able to do it. You know, Shelby is my wife, my best friend. We live together um, when I'm not on the road. And, you know, I had um, music that I was pursuing outside of Flogamali, and I have done for many years. Um, and I think because of that, I always felt like my my plate was full. You know, I, I really couldn't commit to anything else. I was fully committed, and I always have been to Flogamali, and then fully committed to my side project, the bunny gang. And after that, I didn't really have much bandwidth for anything else. And, um, I got to, I have to thank COVID in a way because it really, you know, have, having shut down the industry, it, it really made me take a hard look at my life, what I'm doing and my responsibilities, my priorities. And, um, it just, you know, the truth is, is it revealed to me that I had lost, I had lost over the years of grinding and grinding and grinding. I had lost some passion for music because the industry, as you know, is a beast and it can, it can, you can just, it can be very, you can be very elated with the experience, but it can rip your heart right out. You know, and I, I've had that happen enough times where I was pretty burnt out and, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that until I was forced to really, uh, to really take a hard inventory of my life. And, you know, Shelby has always been writing and she was just writing these songs kind of about, at least it felt like to me about what we were going through, but what the two of us were going through. And a lot of it, I'm sure, is individual to her. But I, I feel like a lot of the writing was about the struggles that we were experiencing. And it just it kind of organically just happened. Like, you know, these songs are really good. I'm, I'm feeling this. Like, why don't we start working on these? And all of a sudden, like the passion came back in my heart. I was like, like the blood came back in my body. I'm like, this is fun. I'm loving this. We do everything at home. There's no like pulling of teeth to get people together or, you know, all the stress that comes along with having a band, you know? And so, and then once we really kind of realized, wow, we have something here and we kind of zoned in on, on the vibe of it and how to do it. 
you know, now it's like, it's like my best friend. It's, I love Valoris. It's, it's our COVID baby, you know, <laughs> and it's just so much fun. There's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's so natural. And, you know, we went and recorded the album. It was all recorded live in five days. You know, I basically produced it. And my ambition was I wanted to sound exactly like what we sound like live. I don't want to have some production quality that I now have like some stress to like recreate live. I was just like, my, my inspirations were like, you know, Johnny Cash, the Ramones, Nirvana, um, just really stripped down straight ahead kind of vibe. Do you know the Cowboy Junkies? Oh yeah. It reminded me a lot of that record. They did the Trinity sessions where it's just the four track and, and the family down in the basement and, Reminded me a lot in places of that, her vocals as well. I was like, I'm getting real cowboy junkie vibes here. And that is, you know, as high praise as it gets from me, because I absolutely love that band. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we were listening to a lot of uh, Sharon Van Etten going into it. Um, a lot of Cure, believe it or not, the early stuff, uh, but all all of it. But um, yeah, Cowboy Junkie's great, great. I haven't listened to them in a while. I should go back. Trinity Sessions, man. That's the album for you today over dinner. All right. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I love it. I really do. I'm going to link it up in the episode so people can hear it. And when I think something is done for the pure sake of creation uh, and the experience of, you know, the bonding that comes from that, then it's only ever going to be rewarding, isn't it? And just to have something that's pure, you know, because it is a business for you, right? Music is a business. If you've made it your livelihood, it'll always be a passion, but it's also a business. So to take it back to just the passion, it's what it's all about. It, it, yeah, to have that freedom, you know, I think, it almost was like a rebirth. I felt like I, I had to die in a way um, for this, for there to be space, for this to, to be born. And I couldn't be more grateful to be alive right now, to have that. You know? <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Well, listen, yeah. that seems like a beautiful note to end on. Let's drink to that. I couldn't be happy to be alive myself. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> yeah, pour myself a little bit more wine. <laughs> I, got you, I got you leaned up against my little black box here, making Love spritzers. It. Love it. <laughs> are you going to play with shelby on the cruise is that going to happen mm. i'd love to see it this year we did play last year so we you know there's, there's so many uh and this is a great problem to have there's so many artists that really want those those slots and being one of the curators of it i feel a responsibility to not just take every stage for myself you know what i mean so i i believe that we'll be back the following year 2024 i think that makes sense but this year uh i couldn't be happier with the lineup um, I'm actually bringing my kids on the, on the cruise for the first time this year. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, uh, really excited. You've never, uh, Flagamala has only played Mexico city one time. So to get, get down to Mexico, which I, I love Mexico. It's my second favorite country. And then to go to Belize for the first time, couldn't be happier. So it's going to be a great time. Well, I'll be bringing my kid as well. Aid Preston. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him to make more than one ring. I will. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll bring a bunch of stuff. We're actually going to do after the cruise is done, we're going to go on a little road trip and do like new Orleans, Memphis, Alabama, Nashville. We're going to get out there and just get the Greyhound going and yeah, experience all these parts of America. Cause I've only ever really done LA, New York, and then Florida from these cruise kind of, you know, jump off points, but there's so much in the middle. I did Texas as well a couple of years ago, but there's so many and Colorado, man, like I've never been up there. There's so many places that I need and want to explore. So I'm going to end this year on a nice little, probably month-long road trip after the cruise. 
well, hey, maybe we'll uh, we'll book a tour and uh, you can do DJ on our tour and we'll just take you everywhere you want to go. Oh, mate. That would be the dream. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> well, I, I don't need to hold you to it because I know you're a man of your word and you wouldn't say it if you didn't mean it. So beautiful. Listen, dude, thank you for being in my life. Thank you for being a solid friend and a great guy. And, uh, and thank you for this. This has been a really lovely chat and I'm, I'm really glad that we got to sit down and yeah, share some of these ideas. And I'm on exactly the same page with you uh, in regards to everything that we've discussed today. So I look forward to continuing the conversations on the boat. Thank you, brother. All the best. His eyes, they closed and his last breath spoke. He had seen all to be seen. A life once full, now an empty vase with the blossoms on his early grave. Walk away, me boy, walk away, me boy, and by morning we'll be free. Wipe that golden tear from your mother, dear, and raise what's left of the flag for me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.